Hey everybody, Kirk here. You are listening to the Church Theology Podcast, a podcast on the church, for the church, and I'm here with one of my regular co-hosts, Dan Allen. Hey! <laughs> who is being uh, a dork, and uh, we've had to try to record this intro multiple times now. All right, so uh, we are, as, as a podcast uh, called Church Theology, we're doing sort of this introductory series on that idea of church theology, and specifically focusing uh, over the, la- the first two episodes we had on the church, and we're going to continue that today. Um, so mm-hmm. last, the last two times we talked about God's view of the church. Dan, why don't you kind of remind us a little bit about mm-hmm. where we were with that? Yes, yeah, so we started by taking a look at certain passages where God describes to us his view of the church in some sense, or that um, God has a very exalted view of the church, which is his people, a people redeemed by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, who's risen from the dead and uh, have now come underneath the authority of Jesus. And this group of people, God absolutely adores. He describes them as the very bride of Christ. He describes them as God's household, as the very flock of God. I mean, when you start thinking about these images, and what that would mean for the way that God views the church. It's, it's quite breathtaking. God is crazy mm-hmm. about the church. Yeah. And uh, we, we want our heart to beat to the very same drum. And so then we talked about some reflection questions on, is that where our heart is? And how can we stir that up? And how, how can we have the same view for the local church that, that God has? Yeah, absolutely. Because that is ultimately where what we are after in that is we want to look at God's view of the church. Um because we want to adopt that view ourselves. Yeah. So theology, yeah. uh, the task of understanding God and his truth is um, the idea of thinking right thoughts after him. He is the standard of truth. It's it's what he's revealed that is true. His view of the church is the truer reality beyond our own perception of things or our own sort of inclination. And so we want to adopt his view of the church. And that has mm-hmm. significant um, implications then for how we engage our fellow believers mm-hmm. and the church community mm-hmm. um, are, are investing ourselves in it, are caring for it, even when at times it is maybe difficult or can require sacrifice. So today we want to look now at God's uh, vision for the church. So we looked mm-hmm. at his view. Now we want to look at his vision. What? Mm-hmm. How, how would you help us understand what we mean um, by those things, like wh- how those are different? Yeah, so in terms of God's view of the church, this, that is mean, meant to communicate this is the way God thinks about the church. or what When he looks at the church, this is what goes on in his heart, so to say. Uh, the vision for the church is kind of taking a look at passages that what does it look like for the church to live out the um being the church? So mm-hmm. it's not only have we come underneath the authority of Jesus, but what does it look like? now on earth to live out mm-hmm. underneath the authority of God. And so uh, we're going to be looking at different passages that demonstrate that to us. And what does it look like to be the people of God? What should the world look like? Or what should what should the world see when they look at the church? Yeah. And both how we interact with one another, how we interact with the world. Uh, what, what does God intend to see in his church? Yeah. So it's, we might say it's what God desires his church to be. Yeah. It's his vision for what the church is to be and to become. In many ways, it's, it's not the same thing as the mission, but it's all of the mission of the church that is. But in some ways you might say it's what it would look like if the church uh, fulfilled its mission or yeah. if it was living out its mission, both um, outwardly in terms of mm-hmm. reaching the loss and inwardly in terms of 
um, encouraging and building up the saints. Right. And so what we want to do is kind of like we did last time is look at some passages and reflect on how these passages of Scripture um, exemplify and show us God's vision for the church. Yeah. And the first that we're going to look at is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 21, and then verses 26 to 28. So the, the 12th chapter of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. We'll read that. Paul says this to them. He says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually, members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. So Dan, when we read this passage, what are some of the sort of initial things that come to your mind in terms of some of the implications in mm -hmm. this passage mm -hmm. for God's vision? Yeah, I mean, if, if I were to sum it up, it, we get this picture of a, of a diverse group of people that's mutually dependent upon one another. So they're diverse. There's there's an eye, there's a foot, there's a hand. They're all different people. Uh, in, in particular, it seems that chapter 12 and 14 in, in this letter are focusing on the, the spiritual gifts, mm -hmm. the spiritual graces that God has given to the church that are different. They function different, uh, but the goal is always to build up the church, right? But they're but they're different nonetheless. So they're diverse, but they're mutually dependent. They need one another. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, interesting that in verse 18 and 28 from what you read here, it shows that God has, so verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, verse 28, and God has appointed in the church. So this is, this is set up particularly by God with intention to give different people different giftings for the building up of the body. This is his idea. Yeah. And it's, it's a good thing. It's a God-designed diversity. So like in the beginning of the chapter 2, it talks about how the Spirit distributes these gifts mm -hmm. to every believer. Yeah. This is a privilege of every believer is to have a gift, uh, of gifts from the Spirit, yeah. to be empowered mm -hmm. to serve others. And so like our, our culture is really big into diversity here. And it's not mm -hmm. diversity for the sake of diversity necessarily. It's 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 a God-designed diversity. Mm -hmm. It's a diversity that has value and it's it's intricately connected to our unity. Mm -hmm. yeah, all the parts play a role in, in, in filling out the whole body yeah. so that we need each other. There's yeah. a connectedness. Yeah. My gift is not necessarily your gift. And so I need your gift because I don't have it. And, right. and, and, and we're not able to, I'm not able to serve someone in a way that you are, mm -hmm. which I think sort of um, can get into um, like, sometimes we have different perspectives on mm -hmm. things and we may not always want to be interacting with people who yeah. are different than us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the, it's easier to read this and be like, Oh yeah, I see that. That's, that's a good idea. 
But on the ground, this is actually very hard, I find, because it, it requires that we learn to appreciate the way the other person is gifted. And so we can come to a situation and um, be viewing the same thing, but come at it from different angles because of our different giftings. And it's hard because at that point we have to lay down some of our thoughts and trust that God is working through this other individual with their gifts for the building up of the body. And, and maybe my voice isn't as important at, at, at this point um, or whatnot, but to be able to, to work together on that, that's, that's not the easy part. That's where it mm-hmm. can get difficult. Like to at least know, like I have limitations and, and my right. gifting has, there's positivity to what God has given me, but he hasn't given me necessarily all these other gifts. And yeah. someone else may have an added perspective or an, an added ability to contribute. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be challenging, like at least for some personality types, we like my own, we tend to think um, if someone's not like me, that's sort of a deficiency. Right. You know? Like yeah. if I value, so I can value some of the things in my own personality of being conscientious and driven and organized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if it's easy for, for me, for example, if I view someone who lacks those things to think, well, you know, those are, those are faults and to not value the differences that other, and it's not to say everyone, you know, that no, that we don't have faults Mm -hmm. and that even Mm -hmm. some of our personalities incline us to those things and our giftings, um, maybe in one area where we're, you know, we have some weaknesses in another area, Mm -hmm. but it's to say like, listen, some of those differences are actually valuable differences. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I can say for me, like I'm kind of more bent towards like a teacher. I, I like the think, you know, like, let's say there's a new ministry idea that comes along and uh, I I kind of, my gut response is to like, make sure this is a well thought out plan and it's careful. Like we kind of anticipate some of the challenges coming along with it. Uh, And and that's good, right? You want to think it all through, Yeah, you know, think well Um, about it. But that that can have its limitations as well. Like Mm -hmm. some things don't get done because like we want to think it through and have it just perfect. Whereas someone say more with, uh, I'm making generalities here uh, for sure. Um, <clears throat> someone maybe more like evangelistic or something um, might say, look, I don't, I don't need all those boxes checked out to go try this. Like, let's go. Right. Like, I, like, like there's a mission to be had. Yeah, let's, let's do go. It. There's let's people go. that are dying and yeah. need to be saved. Yeah. And both of those gifts need each other. They, we need to listen to one another and um, not view each other as, you know, if you're having a conversation, you're trying to kind of win your argument versus kind of put yourself in their their kind of lens a little bit and say, mm-hmm. okay, they're seeing something here that's good and I probably need to hear it. God wants to build me up and mm-hmm. push me along because of it. And and wouldn't, wouldn't it be a great thing if both sides could see that they need each other mm-hmm. and we come and we sharpen one another versus, you know, one, one particular gift kind of dominating the discussion all, all the time or something. Yeah. And to value the gifts mm-hmm. And those diversities, not just because we decide to, but ultimately because we believe that God, like we have good reason for this because we believe that God has actually designed things this way. And I think one of the things, um, particularly when you understand the context of this passage too, Mm -hmm. like the exact, um, the the specific historical context, yeah, yeah. what was going on in Corinth was that in chapters 12 through 14, Paul is addressing their, uh, sort of how they their, their corporate gatherings or worship and such. And he's talking, particularly in Corinth, there was a bunch of folks where they had the gift of speaking in tongues and that gift was getting elevated above mm-hmm. the others. Mm-hmm. And so in context, like this passage has a lot of implications, but in context, one of the main applications that Paul, like why Paul is bringing this up is to say like we need to value the diversity of gifts and not mm-hmm. like we can have a tendency as well to elevate certain gifts above others. Or like if some of us have gifts where maybe 
we're in the limelight a little bit more. And so mm-hmm. vis- vis- visibly and publicly, like it gets a little bit more recognized and, and people can express, you know, gratitude mm-hmm. for the service. Mm-hmm. Whereas other people, they do a lot of stuff behind the scenes and we should be cer- cer- certain to, to show gratitude towards them and value those mm-hmm. things as not being less important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I, another thing I see when I read this passage is the, some of the sort of foolish things, uh, comments from the body, so to say this image, like, I mean, if you think of your hand, if your hand actually set, if your hand could talk and be like, man, I, I'm not, there's no use for me here. Yeah. I'm, I'm, no, just, I'm not useful. I'm not a name, man. Man. I wish I was an eye. Eyes can yeah. see. That's and, awesome. Yeah. And, yeah. and he's sort of giving this, you know, picture. It's sort of comical. It's yeah. like, that, that's a silly thing to say. Uh, but in reality, that's, that's easy to believe when it comes to my participation in the local church, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I don't know if these, I don't know if I have bring anything of value here. Right. Now, there's something good about that because in, in, in our, on our own, we don't. Like, we're people empowered by the Spirit of God. Yeah. But yeah. God has particularly given us a gift for the building up. And so there's something of us of learning to trust the Holy Spirit yeah. that he has empowered us for the building up of the body. Uh, one illustration I've given before in terms of... Um, you know, testing this out, or if you want to experience this is you could, you could take some tape and for the, for the next week, tape all four of your fingers together and, you know, let that be an example. To Maybe you get someone else to drive you. <laughs> yeah. An example to <laughs> Around, say, yeah. to remind you that the church, the local church, um, is built up by you. It's meant to be used. Yeah. Your gifts are meant to be used to, to care for the body. And when you don't do that, we are saying this passage when we're afraid, like maybe I don't, I can't contribute because I'm not a certain, I don't have a certain gifting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually are, are we're, we are saying what verse 14 is saying. Yeah. And there's one way we can approach this passage where we oftentimes, our minds may go to like, I need to be a part of the body because, so, because other people have gifts that I need. But what you're emphasizing, yeah. I think is helpful is like, we need to also realize that when we um, like you said, again, that I thought was helpful is like, we're not saying, well, I have all this stuff to contribute. I'm, I'm Mr. Awesome over here, but it's, it's saying, no, 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 I'm not Mr. Awesome, but God has nonetheless given me a gift and that yeah. gift wasn't meant for me. Like yeah. in this passage, one of the unique things is that we get the love, the quote unquote love chapter in this section, mm-hmm. um, chapter 13, right. which a lot of times it gets talked about in like wedding ceremonies and stuff. And it's not to say it doesn't have any application to love in other contexts, but in this particular context, he's talking about love in terms of using our gifts to serve others. Like mm-hmm. gifts are not the end in and of themselves, but they're always meant to be used to love other people and serve mm-hmm. other people. Right. And to your point, like if I if I'm that hand and I and I tape up my hand and I'm not using my gifts to serve other people, mm-hmm. like not only am I is it detrimental if I don't get myself involved in the church for others to sort of serve me mm-hmm. and be mm-hmm. and use their gifts to help me. But I'm actually depriving the church. Right. I'm right. actually depriving other people of God's gift. Mm-hmm. Not, not first and foremost my gift, but God's gift that he's given to me for them, yeah. for yeah. other people. Mm-hmm. And so one of the applications of this, of course, is that like the idea of actually being a part of a church. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know how you can live out this passage and obey this passage mm-hmm. along with many others in the New Testament with all these right, right. letters that are written, these epistles that are written to churches where the commands about loving each other and serving one another are intended to be practice out in a church. Yeah. I don't know how you practice a passage like this, for example, without 
being a part of the yeah. of the body. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Now we I should at least throw in this qualifier right here. You might hear, you know, we're two pastors here, uh, so this is. You might even think, oh man, of course you have this view because you want more people to be yeah, it's joining your church. Self-serving. Or but again, yeah. we are looking at passages. We want our view of the church to be what God's view of the church is. So that's why we're looking at the passages first. We're letting the, we want the text to speak for itself. Um, one of the other foolish statements, uh, you know, if you could think of it that way in verse 21, uh, it kind of goes the other way. The eye cannot say to the hand, like, think about your eyeball talking, speaking to your hand. I don't need you. I mean, <laughs> I'm good enough. All you got to do is yeah. see. Yeah. That's all we need. It's, it's just silly, right? Yeah. And yeah. Paul's he's making it look silly, right? So the other application, not only t- tape your hand up, but then, you know, maybe put these really strong earbuds in your ear for the whole week or, you know, earplugs so you can't hear anything or tape your ankles together and <laughs> remind yourself, tell yourself, like when, when we act like we don't need other people to serve us and care for us. Uh, it, that's the way we're acting towards the church. Yeah, like, you may not need to do that for a whole week. You might be able to. The point right. might come through pretty quickly. True. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Could you imagine? But yeah. So, but the idea here is that we oftentimes deprive her when we're not living out this reality as a church. We're depriving each other, mm-hmm. um, and we're being deprived. That's the yeah. other piece. Yes. Is we we need each other. Yeah. We are not self sufficient. Yeah. Um, uh, only God yeah. possesses self-sufficiency. We need other people um, yeah. to hold us accountable, to encourage us. Mm-hmm. Um, we have blind spots. Yeah, which is which is very countercultural because we've been taught since we're kids that I, I can be myself, be my own person. I'm strong. You're strong. You don't need help from other people. And that's like, you know, that that's part of what makes you a, a, a good, strong person. You can pull yourself up yourself. by your own yeah. bootstraps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but the reality is we need other people. That's the way it was in the garden, right? Mm-hmm. Adam was not complete. Like he needed uh, Eve to 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 come alongside yeah. for a helper. Yeah, I think this passage too. Maybe one last thing that comes to my mind, and maybe you have more. But the the one other thing is this passage pushes against sort of a consumeristic attitude that I think Mm -hmm. is prevalent. Not only the individualism that is prevalent in our culture, but a consumerism. What I mean by the consumerism is sort of this idea that I approach things based on what I get out of Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes you hear that language of what is like, am I being fed or whatever? I'm not, our family isn't really feeling um, like we're getting anything out of this church or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not to say that those concerns are, absolutely illegitimate there's something there but when that's our guiding principle like paul is not raising this metaphor sort of where every part of the body is sort of like a a a perfectly reciprocal uh tit for tat sort of economic exchange of well i guess i'll contribute a little bit but i gotta make sure i'm getting my fair Mm -hmm, share mm -hmm. out of this agreement like the idea is we're serving others there's a sacrificial serving um and i that means i may find myself being a part of certain church ministries or attending groups where maybe in those particular settings, I don't feel like I'm necessarily being served as much, but it's still valuable mm-hmm. because I'm going to serve other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's probably times where that role gets reversed. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring that up because, you know, I don't, I don't, if you think about Paul, like writing the, like a letter to, you know, the church in, you know, Wisconsin or, or America or whatever, at right, this day and age, like, I don't, I don't know, would he be confronting the idea of, like, you guys are exalting certain gifts over others? I, I mean, maybe. Um, maybe, yeah. Or maybe he'd fo- put a focus more on this. Like, you're 
you're approaching this body life as a consumer mm-hmm. rather than a body that's interdependent upon one another, diverse but mutually dependent upon one yeah. another. And you're not thinking about what you bring to the table as well yeah. and what you what you need. So uh, perhaps he, he perhaps he'd use all the same language, but yeah. kind of focus on a different aspect. I don't. I don't. You know almost sure. almost the saying. metaphor would become that the body now has a parasite that mm-hmm. is living off of the uh, the ecosystem of the body. It's it's there to consume, but it's not there to contribute right, right. to the good yeah. of the body. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to be parasites. We yeah. want to be contributing members yeah. of the body. Yeah, that's good. Um, that receive and give. Yeah. Well, maybe we could move on to another one here. Yeah. Uh, let's look at Ephesians. Four, uh, we'll read a larger portion after this, but even just saying with the first three verses here, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Mm. Yeah, so this passage, I mean, at least in these initial first verses, one of the things that jumps out to me is this this emphasis on the unity. Mm-hmm. Um, the church is to be a unified uh, people. And and you get all these different sort of descriptors around it, which sort of emphasize how that unity is happening. There's a humility. Mm-hmm. There's a gentleness. There's a patience. There's a bearing with one another in love. And he, he doesn't just, he doesn't say, be unified. But what's interesting is that he says maintain the right. unity. Yeah. The idea is that we've we've been given a unity, yeah. yeah, in Christ in the gospel Which by this, this chapter one spirit. through three. Yeah, yep. and even in this chapter, he talks about how we have one faith, one Lord, one yeah. baptism. The yep. foundation of our unity isn't some sort of uh, scaffolding that we build up, yeah. but it's right. something that God has established at our yeah. foundation, and we simply maintain it. Yeah. But it's a it's a command. Unity is not right. something that we can just coast on and just assume. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because as we know, a lot of us in our experience, it's very easy for us to become disunified and to not be patient with one another and to have grievances with grievances mm-hmm. with one another. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be we have to eagerly maintain yeah. unity. Yeah, yeah. The word eagerly there, I know you, you could translate it like um, striving or you know words like that that kind of have this um, just uh, strenuous. Yeah, there you go. Strenuous yeah. is a good word. Um, it, it's going to take some work. Yeah. Like there is unity, but it is going to be difficult. You're going to have to work hard and strive to keep the unity. Uh, and, and he also in verse verse one, he says, "Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called." Um, that too, like when you hear "worthy of the calling," you can think of like um, in a manner that is fitting. Or that makes sense yeah. with the calling that you've received. That's how that word "worthy" gets yes. used in yeah. adjustment. It fits. It yeah. corresponds. Yeah. It's appropriate. It lines up with what you've been called to. Yeah. Um, so what I'm trying to point out, though, is that it what lines up with what you've been called to, or what fits, is that you are you are pursuing unity. It is costing you. It is it is a fight against your own soul, probably, yeah. to maintain the unity. Yeah, which is interesting because when you read that passage on its own, verse 1, just you got to live worthy to the calling to which you've been called. Like my mind immediately goes to sort of like individualistically. How do I right. live individually right. worthy and appropriate to the mm-hmm. calling? Right. Um, but in this passage, he's it specifically has to do, not that that's irrelevant, right. Right. but in this passage, it specifically has to do with our unity yeah. as a body. Yeah. Should we read uh, the next section here? So verses 11, skipping down verse 11 through 16, Paul says this. He says that Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, 
the shepherds or the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I notice you, you emphasize there right at the end so that it builds itself up. Yeah, I did that on purpose. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell us why. Yeah, I mean, this passage, uh, this is one of my favorite passages on on sort of the vision of the church, the, what the church is called to be. At first, So a couple things. At first you get um, in verse 11 and 12 that Christ is giving these gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, shepherds, etc., these different leadership roles, uh, servant roles. Why? Ultimately, in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And oftentimes when we, even sometimes in some churches, we talk about, they'll use like this language of the minister, like the children's minister or things like that. And it what it, it kind of gives this false impression um, that the ministers are sort of the mm -hmm. leadership or mm -hmm. these people in this these positions. I remember this one time when I was working at, uh, camp, I visited this church where in the bulletin, oftentimes church bulletins, they have like who their pastor is and such. Mm -hmm. And they had pastors and deacons listed and then they had ministers listed. And after ministers, it said the congregation. Mm -hmm. And I thought mm -hmm. that is a really mm -hmm. cool mm -hmm. way to remind ourselves of this passage. Mm -hmm. The leaders are certainly ministers, mm -hmm. but they play a specific role of equipping the saints through the right, ministry. Right. Like it's actually, their role is primarily a equipping role because mm -hmm. the primary ministers is everybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you see that then in sort of those emphasis that I was giving, which mm -hmm. is that when Paul then talks about how the body is to grow up in this way, he goes, the body is to grow up, so that it makes itself grow up. Mm -hmm. That's essentially if you if you kind of make an ellipsis and cut out everything in between. It's it grows up by growing up, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it, a lot of these the whole body, every joint, each part mm -hmm. makes itself grow up. That the the growing up is something that the body, by God's grace and with the gifts that God gives it, is something that um, He enables the members, the the body itself, to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Would you add anything to that? Yeah, no, I, I mean I fully agree with all that. I, I like the. Uh, the uh, temporal sense or the time sense, or like, well, how long should we do that? Yeah, Verse yeah. thirteen says, "Well, until you all attain the unity of the faith, <laughs> and you're you're fully mature manhood." It's like it's sort of like uh, you know Hebrews uh, three, where it says, "Day after day, as long as it's called today, <laughs> yeah. do this." It's like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. so indefinitely, <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay, yeah, got it. But it it means it shows that this is a this is a lifelong progress. This is a marathon. Yeah. Um, this is something that we are we are not called to just do for a time period and just a season, and then we're ready to go. Yeah. I, I think one of the things to think about on this, too, is uh, this isn't meant to be heard as drudgery. But yeah. This is yeah. like, this is a, a great, joyful labor that we get to enter. Like, there's something bigger going on than just something mundane, you know. So you might think of it this way, like, um, you know, if, you, if, you know, I, I used to cut lawns. 
uh, years ago, which which I, I love the job. It was fun. Um, you know, if if I were to offer you a job to cut lawns, you might say, oh, okay, well, sure, I'll do it. You know, it's a little bit of little bit of money or whatever. But you you, you probably go to work every day, and um, the days you go, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Like it, you wouldn't think it's that great, right? Yeah. Let's say even if you're just doing it. Ten hours a week. That's it, right? Sure. You're just like, okay. And some mornings you probably like, oh, I got to go do that job again. I got to go cut the lawn. But it, but then I said, no, 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 no. You, I'm not talking about my house. I'm talking about you know whatever the president of the United States, whether you like him or not, or, yeah. or somebody big, someone, right? Like someone that you think is really important. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Suddenly that Ooh, mundane cool. job, uh, you'll get up through the you know you'll get up at three in the morning. Yeah. No, it's like, uh, that's not hard for me to get up because suddenly it's for a much bigger mi- mission. Yeah. And so if we can view this passage more like this, like we are working to build up the body of Jesus, the very bride of Christ yeah. in the, the ways that we serve. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And it also like casts a totally different perspective. Like oftentimes what these passages are doing is like we can view sort of church ministry again, like pretty mundane and mm-hmm. uneventful and like, is this, is anything even really happening here that's yeah. unique and special? And God is saying, no, I am actually building up my universal body. I'm building right. up yeah. the, the bride of Christ, this yeah. eternal family, um, yeah. the very new Jerusalem yeah. that we see in Revelation will descend from heaven. Like, this is a, this is a wonderful project yeah. that we get yeah. to be a part of. Right. Yeah. Excellent. So our next passage here is a, a pair from Hebrews. So in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25, it says this, it says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so here we see the author of Hebrews. Yeah, go for it. I was going to say, if you read the next one. Oh yeah, let's read the next one too. Uh, Chapter 3, it says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in you, in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess the reason why I had both of them read together is because one of them is kind of showing like a, you might say, offense and defense, or positive, positive negative. Yeah. Like uh, in the first one, Hebrews 10, it's that we are to stir up one another towards love and good deeds. Mm-hmm. And... Chapter three, it's to protect one another from sin. So, but what he's calling for is the church itself to do this for one another. And how often should we do it, or when can we when can we stop doing this? Well, as long as it's called today. Like this, this is an activity that we should be doing, a part of a ministry to one another. Stir up towards love and good deeds, and protect the saints from sin, so that we're not deceived by the hardness of deceitfulness of sin. Right. I mean, the assumption throughout all of this is. That we need accountability. We yeah. need each other. Positively, mm-hmm. we need we need to be encouraged. Negatively, yep. we need we need other people as sort of our guardrails, like yeah. our, our bumpers, so to say, if you're thinking about bowling or something like mm-hmm. that. We need people to kind of keep us in check. And one of the things that I think um, makes these two passages hit us with a bit more weight is that in the book of Hebrews, a lot of the maybe even like the, like one of the main themes, if not attached to the main message of the book, is this concern for persevering in the faith mm-hmm. and not falling mm-hmm. away. Right. So you get these warning passages yeah. throughout the book about those who have fallen away and are apostates and are not, are not saved. Um, and so there's these calls for the need to, to continue in the faith. And, and mm-hmm. so when he talks about these things, like taking care of one another and encouraging one another, I think he has in view that danger specifically. Yeah. 
Did you know you said those who have fallen away? Did I say fallen away? <laughs> I thought so. Maybe. Like, I meant to, well, whatever I said, I said fallen away. You're, you're smarter than I am, so I was thinking maybe that is a word. Those who have falled. <laughs> falled. I'm, I'm just going to pretend like it's true and just keep saying it. No, but there's this idea of perseverance that, that's in the background. The yeah. dan- in other words, the danger is in the background. Yeah. And I think, I think what you're saying then is one of the means by which God will help uh, protect people from falling away is other people. Yeah. Like God pours out his grace to a person through another person. Yeah. Like, and that's, I should view myself like that, that God wants to use me in that way. Yeah. And yeah, I yeah. should view you that way, that God wants to use you in my life that way as well. Right. Ch- relationships are a channel in that yes. way of God's grace. Like these Christian to Christian relationships, yeah. especially like, like God has means of grace in his word and the ordinances. And one of those two is relationships. Yeah. Um, and a passage like this shows that. And and right. when we think of other passages, like the, the classic sort of church discipline passages, mm-hmm. and by that we mean sort of when the church steps in, yeah. when someone is erring and is, isn't on track and is unrepentant, like Matthew 18, mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians 5, like it shows those passages, that's a part of the vision of the church too. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. a part of the goodness of the church. Yeah, yeah. And when you, when you think about the church, say your church is 50 people, like how many of those 50 people do you think need this type of care all of them yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right it's sort of an obvious question right i'm um, like what is this a trick question like yeah it was meant to be super obvious yeah. all of them and even even you as a pastor right i yeah, mean yeah, i yeah. would think that w- what a great value to have uh the very people within the same local church caring for you in this way stirring you up towards loving good deeds and protecting you from sin we all need it there's not a single saint in the church of God that does not need this type of ministry to them. Yeah. And there's not a single saint that's not called to pursue this when they can. Mm-hmm. And so when we don't pursue it for ourselves, right. we are putting ourselves in a position of danger. Yeah. When we keep ourselves from it by not letting people in to our mm-hmm. lives, we're mm-hmm. putting ourselves in danger. And when we're not doing the uncomfortable thing by offering it to other yeah. people and maybe yeah. actually confronting them yeah. or holding them accountable, asking mm-hmm. them hard questions like that. Some of us don't like to do that. Mm-hmm. But we're depriving them of, of a grace that right. they need. Right. Yep. Yep. So Good. our next passage then is in the book of Hebrews as well. Do you want to read that one? Sure. Yeah. It's uh, in uh, chapter 13 there, the end of the book. Uh, it says, oh, uh, verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this, I mean, this passage shows us that part of the vision of the church is that there's organization in terms of Mm -hmm. leadership that are appointed to watch out for Mm -hmm. other believers. So he uses the word leaders here. Mm -hmm. Um, In other passages, we get terms like elders and pastors. um, But there's a variety of different people in the church that have sort of roles that are Mm -hmm. intended to watch out for other people. And it shows that we need that. In other words, mm-hmm. the church isn't like we've said before, isn't your group of buddies that might hang out, mm-hmm. but there's actually some structure to it and there's yeah. some built in accountability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so here he says that the, the church is to submit to the leaders um, because they're keeping watch over your souls. Um, and yet we should at least add in here the idea of it's, if a leader is calling the church to to sin, well, that that is not yeah, what they should Yeah, there's obviously obey. a caveat. Yeah, they don't yeah. submit in that sense. but Because um, our it, ultimate submission needs to be to God. Yeah. Right. And uh, I don't know, as a pastor yourself, I mean, when it, when he says this, let them let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Have you ever given thought to that? Or 
Do you ever groan as a pastor? Probably. I probably shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, it's it, an interesting yeah. statement. But but then he says, that would be no, of no advantage to you. Yeah. Like, hmm. um, it's, it's just an interesting passage. I mean, part part of the picture, though, of the local church is we're all sheep. Yeah. Right? God has called particular sheep to help shepherd. To be under shepherds. under shepherds. Yeah. Like, Jesus is the chief shepherd. And he actually says that later in the same chapter, the chief shepherd of our souls. Um, but the pastor is an under shepherd. And it, you kind of, if you were going to use that image, it would be like, don't, um, don't, you sheep don't bite the other sheep on the heel because that, it's not going to be helpful. Yeah. Like, so it doesn't mean that you don't critique the pastor or something like that or bring helpful critique, but let's, let's, we're a family. Let's kind of bring help, a helpful solution and work together and try to figure this out. Yeah. So it's not, there's a way to overread this passage, but there's also a way to underread it as well. Yeah. In our, in our context, in our culture, we, the idea of submitting is, is a, is a naughty word. We don't, <laughs> we don't like that. Right, right. Um, and the idea of like leadership being, you know, it, it kind of rings yeah. authoritarianism and we get nervous about that. Right. But there is a healthy, like this, we, sh- we want to see this as this is trusting God's wisdom yeah. and actually giving the church leadership structure. Yeah. And if ever we think, oh, well, this is just a sly way for, uh, yeah. leaders to sort of put themselves in a nice uh, position to kind of have authority over people. Yeah. Like we also have to remember that th- this isn't the Bible somehow having bad motives. Like the, the leaders here have to do even the more um, daunting thing, I suppose you might say of having to give an account. Right. 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 Like we're called to submit um, mm-hmm. to leaders in the church and the leaders have to do, they have to give an account. Like mm-hmm. that's a, mm-hmm. that's a tall task. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's not a blank check for them to just kind of, have right, a cool right. a cool position with all this power or something like yeah. that. That's not the, the vision of Christian leadership is sacrificial. Mm-hmm. We could have we don't have uh, this passage on here, but we could have done Ephesians five too, where it talks about being uh, to the to the local church. He says, "Be filled with the Spirit," and then he gives some indicators of what that looks like. So, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms to one another, yeah. and then he uses this phrase and submitting to one another. It's yeah. the whole church submitting to one another. Yeah. So that it would have been uh, that would have been helpful, perhaps, with that use of the word submitting. Yeah. Uh, that everybody's supposed to be submitting to one another. And of course, I'll I'll throw in there as well. Like this passage assumes the idea that we are actually members of a church, that we belong to a right, church. Right. Because um, as a pastor, like, am I a if, mem- if there wasn't an idea of this sort of membership, like am I somehow, it says I'm supposed to give account. I'm mm-hmm. supposed to be accountable. Like am I supposed to give an account for every believer I interact mm-hmm. with in the city of Milwaukee? Or is every s- believer in the city of Milwaukee supposed to submit to every pastor in the city of Milwaukee? Right. No, there's an right. understood relationship. Yeah. Like that's my pastor or from the pastor side, that's that's someone a part of my church. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so we see things like evidence of what we find in like Acts 2 where it says that those who receive the word are baptized and were added mm-hmm. the ideas to the church that day. Yeah, yeah, that's good. All right, let's keep moving along here. Um, let's go to First Peter two. Uh, it's a 10. little bit of a different shift here. We're going to go outside the the, well, uh, yeah, the, the church, church here. looking outwardly mission. Yeah. So this is yeah. chapter two, verse nine and ten of First Peter. Uh, he says, "But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for." His own possession, for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Yeah. So here we see a very 
uh, clear picture uh, that the church is now the pe- they are the very people of God. They are pos- the possession of God. And he gives a purpose behind it in verse 9. That, or so that, you would be proclaiming his excellencies of the very one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Like that is what we were created to do now in mm-hmm. Christ. As the church, we were made to be proclaimers. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the things that we see here is, um, like it reminds me of Second Corinthians 5, where Paul uh, talks about the ministry that he's received as a minister of the gospel, um, that not only has God reconciled us to himself, but then it says that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation, mm-hmm. God making his appeal through us, it says. Mm-hmm. Like that is an incredible mm-hmm. vision. Not only, like in this passage, not only has God proclaimed to us the excellencies of this being called out of darkness into a marvelous light, um, but then he actually grants us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the task, like the, the church is not only the recipients of the gospel mm-hmm. and the product of the, of the salvation of the gospel, but then the church actually is, is also the agent of carrying yeah. the gospel yeah. forward. It's the agent and the recipient. Yeah. And it, it cycles. Yeah. Um, and so, so it's an incredibly exciting vision that, that yeah. think about that, that we, as the people of God, like, um, as the, as the church, like this is the place where God's project and God's mm-hmm. program and plan for redemption mm-hmm. and renewal is happening. Mm-hmm. That when we get right. together as a church, like it can be easy to just kind of be like, eh, blah, yeah. you know, but this, I mean, there's something miraculous and supernatural happening yeah. when the church gathers together and when the church functions, even when, as yeah. it scatters yeah. to that God is making his appeal through yeah. us and God is working his, yeah. his plan of salvation. Yeah. I like, I like that passage because uh, right before he kind of, or right after it, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And then he says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself. This is like this. This is what God was already doing. This is God's mission. It's first His God's mission. God's on a mission, yeah. not counting their trespasses against Him, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So it's first God's mission. He's on a mission, and then He calls us into it. It really goes back with that whole idea of mowing the lawn type thing, or just like suddenly yeah. the job becomes way more exciting because like, well, I'm a this is God's do. mission. Yeah. The one who created all things, the one who's eternal and has all power. Yeah. Um, which also, when you think of like the great commission, Matthew 28 is, is very similar. Like Jesus appearing to his disciples. He says, Hey, look guys, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's coming right out of Daniel seven. The son of man uh, was handed the kingdom, a mm-hmm. kingdom from yep. the ancient of days that is rules over all nations and every tribe and tongue. Jesus says, look, this is happening it's now. Yeah. I am the king. And I'm about everything. to ascend and be seated yeah. at the right hand of because God. Now, now, therefore, uh, because of that, go yeah. and make disciples. Uh, of all those them. nations. Yeah, because I have right. authority over all the nations, now the gospel is to go to all the yeah. nations. And the, yeah, and the it's mission, incredibly empowering. The church is simply getting is getting caught up in what God is already yeah. doing. Yeah. Um, the church is just a vehicle. It's just a tool that God is, yeah. is using that we get to be a part of that. And what's exciting, too, is even in this first Peter passage, if we're not as familiar with our Old Testament, we might miss it. But the idea of what God is already doing is 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 already evidenced here by the fact that Peter is alluding to this language from the Old Testament that was used to describe Israel. Um, and so what God mm-hmm. was doing with Israel was selecting mm-hmm. a people mm-hmm. that was meant to be mm-hmm. holy. So Peter has already right. said in chapter yeah. 1, be holy as I am holy, um, which is language that comes from what Israel was called to be as mm-hmm. God's unique people. They were to be holy as he was holy. And in that way, sort of shine a light mm-hmm. and, and, and a spotlight on the character of their God as this unique God with this 
um, who had given his people such peculiar and good laws mm-hmm. that set mm-hmm. them apart. And the church, Peter says, is 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 in many ways the fulfillment of that mm-hmm. of that that plan that God had for creating a people people for Himself. And as yeah. they were to be a light to the nations, mm-hmm. in many ways, as mm-hmm. the nations looked on right. and saw them. Right. Now we are actually a light to the nations, but we go to the nations right. as well. Right. Yep. Yeah, that's good. Which yeah. I guess brings us to the Acts passage. Yeah. 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 And especially like, if you think about it, just if if that weren't enough, right? That that we realize like we're a part of this mission that God's on and that Jesus is reigning over all things. If that weren't enough to empower us or encourage us, then we get to the Acts 1-8 where Jesus says to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Yeah. So if it weren't enough to just see the mission that God's on, but then he says, oh yeah, by the way, I'm going to call you into this mission and I'm going to give you power for it. I'm going to empower like, you for my mission. Yeah. 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 That's incredible. As we we were preaching through the book of Acts and we sort of gave the tagline, uh, God's people on God's, God's mission by God's, God's power. power. Yeah. And as you read through the book of Acts, you see this this band of people who in their own strength, like they would have never done this sort of right. thing as they did. And yeah. Even the ability for people, for people's to, to these, these people with, as all of us, stony hearts and these uh, dis- disbelieving, yeah. uh, dead in sin people in all these other lands that the apostles end up going to. And yet we see with like Lydia that God opens her heart and that yeah. God is, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, I think it's in chapter yeah. 13, that God yeah. is empowering the mission. And so we have confidence yeah. to go yeah, forward. And, that, and that, that power didn't necessarily always mean that everything went well. Right. I That's mean, a good point. Yeah. You just read quick statements like James was James killed. James gets his head cut you know? off. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen gets stoned. Like, like it doesn't always go well for them at all. Like there's a lot of, um, through, what's the, what's that statement, uh, in was it thirteen at the end of thirteen or fourteen through many trials and tribulations yeah, we must in, enter, enter the, the kingdom. kingdom of God. Um, so it, that's not what he's talking about. Their power, yeah. Like it's just going to be easy for you now. But it, when you think about uh, chapter four, um, I think it was Peter as well as I think somebody else was thrown in prison with them. Yeah, maybe, maybe not John. They, I think it was. They come back yeah. out and they 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 come to the the people who were gathered, the church gathered, and they in pray. The room. They pray and they yeah. ask. They 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 quote. Uh, from back in the Old Testament and talk about how God, you ordained this, you yeah. ordained the, the Christ to be handed over, and now God, um, give us what I've, give us. Like, it's, they quote Psalm. They they pray based on Psalm two, where Christ, yeah, yeah. this picture of eventually Christ being enthroned and filling out that role, right? And then they pray like, empower us, like give us boldness. Yeah, what's the word specifically? I, yeah, that's boldness, what it is. Give yeah. us boldness. And what you see is that's that's a word that is used room, throughout. And then the, the, the room book. shakes, and, shakes, yeah. and then it says they went out and. Um, preach with boldness yeah. yeah in many ways that that surrounding narrative is an example of the fulfillment of that prayer yeah here we go i grabbed it so he says yeah uh when at, at the end when they had prayed the place in which they were gathered together was shaken they were all filled with the holy spirit and what happened they continued to speak the word of god with boldness yeah well that's a great place i think for us to end um, next episode, we'll take some time to look through some discussion questions and think more about some of the implications of this. Yeah. Um, if you find this valuable, this this episode, this podcast valuable, we would love if you share it with others on social media. Um, you can find us online as well. Um, and give us a good review, if you don't mind, on your favorite platform. Uh, we look forward to having our discussion next time as we continue talking about God's vision for his people. Yeah.